This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Matthew, chapter 10, we're looking this morning at verses 5 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus has called his twelve, appointed them apostles, and we read in verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy... Let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let's pray. Father, we take up this study of your word, and we do so knowing, Lord, that we need the help of your spirit. Father, in some superficial and intellectual way, we could understand this passage in ourselves. But, Father, toward any saving benefit, and even toward salvation itself, we need the work of your Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ, to know the thoughts of Christ. And so, Father, we ask that you would take away our natural sluggishness. We pray that you would take away, Lord, our fallen blindness, and that you would teach us who you are, teach us who we are, and instruct us by your holy word. For we ask it in Jesus' name, for his glory, for his church. Amen. What are we to be about as a church. In other words, what is our task? Is the task to be, as a church, a community center offering child care to parents, meeting space to those who need it, wedding chapel for those who are looking to get married? Or to be a social action center trying to influence politics locally and nationally, uh, setting up recovery groups for those who need them, uh, working to provide for and meet the needs of the poor and needy? Or to be a religious center, holding services for those inclined to worship, Bible classes for those interested, fellowship for those who want to get connected. Well, the answer is yes, 
but mostly no. All of these things uh, have elements that are of them that are a part of the uh, daily and the weekly life of any church, but those things are not what we are about. They are the result of, or they are the means toward reaching the ends which we are about. They're byproducts, they're means, but they're not what we are about. Well, what we are about as a church has both a uh, vertical dimension and a horizontal dimension. It's like two sides of a coin, and they really are inseparable. We could say our task as a church is first and foremost to worship God. It's that vertical relationship with God, and we would have to say that that is preeminent. Our preeminent task, if we would would stretch the uh, metaphor, the larger and more important side of the coin. God is our creator. He is our redeemer. We worship him. He's worthy of our worship, so we worship him. But who we are as a church, our task as a church, also has a horizontal dimension. We are to reach out to others around us with the good news of the kingdom, good news of Jesus, so that they too can join us in that vertical dimension of a relationship to God and worshiping the true and living God rather than the idols they now are worshiping. You see, God is jealous for his name, jealous that what is due him should be rendered to him, and we should be too. And so we are to reach out horizontally to other people around us so that they too can become worshipers of our God. I like the way John Piper so succinctly puts it. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. The purpose of missions is to create worshipers of the one true and living God. Now, as we've studied Matthew's gospel, as we've been going along, we've seen how Jesus, both through his words and his deeds, has been bringing people to himself, bringing people, reaching out and bringing others into this vertical relationship with God. Jesus is reaching out horizontally to people around him to bring them into a knowledge of the one true God. And particularly, he's brought these disciples to himself, to faith in him. They have come into a relationship with him, which is, again, the vertical relationship with God. And just as Jesus has been reaching out to people around him, now he sends these 12 particular disciples whom he has declared to be or made apostles, particularly sent ones of his own, out to reach others. Now, as he sends them out, he gives them instructions for their task. And this morning we want to look at those instructions, those marching orders, if you will, in the passage that we've just read. We do have to be careful, however, because these words were not spoken to you and me. They were spoken to the twelve in the context of a very temporary mission. Particular words to particular men at a particular time and place for a particular purpose. And we would be rendering the Bible a grave disservice simply to take these words and see them as applying to ourselves. These, this is, this is, they're not universal. And we would be wrong to take them that way. Uh, there's nothing wrong today, for example, with missionaries raising support. There's nothing wrong today with missionaries uh, packing more than one change of clothes when they go to the mission field. 
Uh, and certainly we have to take this in the context of the rest of Scripture. However, does that mean, because these were spoken in a particular place to particular men for a particular purpose, that they have nothing to say to us? Absolutely not. Of course not. And what I want us to do as we look at them this morning, as we listen in on this conversation, uh, to find out that this passage does have much to say, at least indirectly, to us, and it forms us uh, in order for our own reaching out aspect of the task, uh, that task that Jesus has given to us. Because we know, obviously, that the task of outreach does broaden beyond just this passage. But I think this passage has something to teach us individually, to teach us as Old Peachtree Church, about that horizontal aspect of our task, reaching out to our neighbors and to the world around us. So in short, we can say the passage teaches us this. Christ not only gives his church a task, but he tells us how to do it. Uh, And in it we'll find five considerations that we need to keep in mind. So consideration number one is this, work to reach people for Christ. That's pretty elementary, pretty basic, Uh, but let's look at what Jesus says in verses 5 and 6. As Jesus sends out his twelve, he says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now the first thing Jesus does is limit the mission. Don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. Now, why would he do that? Why would he say go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, in other words, the Jews? Why? Why does he limit it this way? Well, we could say there's some pragmatic reasons. Uh, By this point, Jesus probably has already had that conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Matthew doesn't record it, but John does. But that's early on in Jesus' ministry. And you'll recall that the woman went out and told the, the, the village, you know, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And they, on the basis of her testimony and then coming out and hearing Jesus themselves, became believers. And so there was some fruit there in Samaria. And it might have been tempting for the apostles to say, hey, we'll go to Samaria. I mean, we've already had some success there. Um, we can We can work with that. But... Uh, they weren't quite ready to reach out to the Samaritans. There was a great deal of antipathy among the Jews toward the Samaritans for historical reasons. Uh, and in fact, when Jesus was going through Samaria, no one would receive him. You know, some of them wanted to call down fire on these people. Uh, probably wasn't quite the right time, and Jesus didn't want them going there. Didn't want them going to the Gentiles yet. He said specifically, go among the Jews. Another pragmatic reason for that is among the Jews, there were a people prepared for the Messiah. Now, as much as there was rejection of the Messiah, there were also people who were awaiting the Messiah and people who did, in fact, receive Jesus from among the Jews. And they, having the the knowledge and the background of the Old Testament, uh, would create a larger base for that future outreach that would take place to the Gentiles, as, as we know, did, in fact, happen. After all, here we are. Uh, So Jesus is putting some limits. This is not to be the universal Great Commission. This is a focused, temporary assignment that he's giving to his disciples. Now, there's a theological reason in addition to some of the uh, pragmatic reasons, and that is the the priority of the Jews in terms of the grace of God. Now, we've seen in our studies of Scripture, even from the earliest days, even from the days of Abraham, God envisioned his grace going out to the nations. And yet there is this priority of the grace of God coming to Abraham and to his descendants first and then going out from there. And in fact, as we read earlier in Romans 9, Paul acknowledges this same priority uh, 
uh, in, in Romans 1, where we read, it's the grace of God to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in fact, Paul's own practice in his missionary endeavors was to start in the synagogue. And he would have some people who would receive Christ there, and, and usually opposition would build. Uh, and in Acts 13, for example, he says, fine, if you won't listen, we'll turn to the Gentiles. And he does, and, and makes converts from among the Gentiles. But Paul himself acknowledges this priority of the Jews. The Jews should certainly be a burden to us. It's interesting uh, to read the, 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 the prayers, the uh, preaching of many of our forebears. Think of Robert Murray McShane of Scotland, who was very much burdened for the Jews, and in fact made a particular trip to Israel to investigate spiritual conditions uh, in that place uh, during his life. Uh, but to be burdened uh, that, that those who are cultural and ethnic Jews should come to a saving knowledge of the Messiah. But of course, in our context, this obviously doesn't apply to us because God has given, Christ has given us the great commission to reach all people, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, whatever it might be, with the gospel. In our context, we need to be mindful of the fact that as a church, as Christians, we have an obligation to be aware of those around us, those who need to come to a knowledge of the Savior. Now, if there are two, two subjects you want to uh, make Christians feel guilty about, they're usually prayer and evangelism. But I think we need to take a fuller view of evangelism as not merely the task of an individual believer, although uh, in part it is, but the work of the church. And part of the way that we fulfill this is simply by being aware of people around us who are not believers, perhaps praying for them, beginning to look for opportunities to get to know them, uh, or opportunities to speak to them of Christ. Uh, we may have to create those. They may create those as they become aware of who we are. I was talking to somebody recently who said one of the best ways to get into a good conversation with someone about Jesus is to go to a uh, you know, Starbucks or someplace and pull out his Bible and sit and read it. And people come up and say, what are you reading? Why are you reading the Bible? And then just get into some good conversations that way. But the point is, we need to make sure that we're not indifferent to those around us. To live as if only the vertical dimension was all that mattered and the horizontal dimension of outreach doesn't come into play at all. The first thing is to cultivate that mentality of being aware of the lost sheep of the house of Israel in our day, which are the elect but who are still in their sins. And God may have appointed you to be the means of bringing his grace to that elect man or woman that they might come to saving knowledge of Christ. Uh, I was at Twin Lakes Fellowship this past, uh, this past week and heard the testimony of a man who had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church and uh, as an adult had a co-worker who kept insisting that he come visit his church with him. And this man said, no, 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 no. And finally he gave in and said, I'll give you one chance. He said, I don't want to go and hear a bunch of Roman Catholic bashing. And the man said, well, our church never bashes Roman Catholics. So he went. It was an evening service. The preacher was preaching through the seven letters to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation. And he came to one church, which in the pastor's estimation represented the Roman Catholic church, and proceeded to rail, to rail against the whore of Babylon. And this man was so mad. <laughs> he came back the next week. And he came back the next week. And he eventually was converted and he is a pastor in the PCA, one of our leading churches. So you do not give up, but be aware of those around you, of their need of the gospel, of their need of Christ. Pray for them. Speak to them. But the first, the first consideration is that we too, like these disciples, are to be aware that there are lost people. There are lost sheep 
who are Jesus's but haven't come to him yet, and God will use us to reach them, to be aware of them, to pray for them. And, of course, be prepared, as Peter says, to give a reason for the hope that we have, a reason that we're Christians. Second consideration, use the methods God gave. Verses 7 and 8. Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. In other words, the methods that God gave are ministries of word and deed. Now, this may sound familiar. It should. If you'll turn back to Matthew chapter 4, we read of Jesus' ministry, verse 23, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's Matthew 4:23. And then we come to the end of Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And now Jesus says to his disciples, Go as you, proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. In other words, Jesus is saying, go out there and do what I've been doing. Teach the truth of the kingdom, calling people to repent and believe in the, the Savior who has come, the Messiah, and minister to their physical needs. Show them love both in your words and in your actions toward them. And Jesus gives us today, his church, the same method for reaching people with the gospel. And we've talked about that before, that, that vital one-two punch of both preaching the truth and ministering to the physical needs of people because they are worthy of it, made in the image of God, and because that kind of ministry opens doors for them to be receptive to the truth, for them to listen to us as we speak truth. And too often uh, in history, churches have tended to major on one or the other. Uh, through the 20th century, the evangelical churches very often pulled away from that kind of ministry to the body, seeing that as the domain of the liberal churches. The liberal churches, having given up the truth, had nothing left. But the evangelical churches, it's kind of a reaction in an effort to protect the truth, and by some necessity, had to so major on the truth, they tended to neglect ministry to the physical needs of people. But we see, we've seen over and over in Jesus' ministry, we need both. Proclamation of the truth, ministering to physical needs. It may be as, as easy, as, as, uh, as, as non-committal as taking a meal to someone who's just moved into your neighborhood. And everything's in boxes and everything's all a who and they, you know, you've, you've provided something or just some cookies to welcome them uh, to begin to build a friendship there. Uh, however, we also do need to speak the truth. Uh, the gospel is a message about something that happened. Um, we, we, you've heard the saying, perhaps, preach the gospel all the time and if necessary, use words. You can't preach the gospel without words. The gospel is not your living. The gospel is the witness to what happened in history, that Jesus died for sinners and was raised from the dead. People aren't going to get that by the way you live. How you live is the fruit of that. But you can't preach the gospel without words. And as you get to know someone, being able to declare to them what God tells us in his word. So work to reach people for Christ. Use the methods God gave. Live for the task at hand. Look at verses 9 and 10. Interesting uh, 
instructions, Jesus says to his disciples, Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. What Jesus is saying to them is they are to travel lightly. There is an urgency here. Uh, They are to travel lightly. They are to be able to move out quickly. Uh, It's interesting, the ESV translates the verb there in verse 9, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. Uh, Jesus says to them, do not acquire two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. Uh, One of the other Gospels uh, says they can take sandals and a staff. And it may be that what Jesus is saying here, based on the verb, don't acquire those things. As you go, you're not to be accumulating things. Although perhaps Jesus said they could take sandals or staff to start out with, but they're not to acquire other things. They're not to receive from people. They are to live simply, travel simply. There's urgency here, and they're to trust God to provide. They are God's workers. The laborer deserves his food, and God will provide. And he would provide perhaps through people who would meet their needs. But the point for us here, again, is not that uh, the missionaries we send out should travel with next to nothing. Uh, but I do think that the, the urgency that underlies this is still applicable to us today. Uh, as, as John Piper, again, to quote him, puts it, we need to have a wartime mentality. Too many Christians live as though peace is broken out, as though the kingdom of God has triumphed completely and there's nothing more to be done. Uh, too often we use prayer like a menu at a restaurant than a walkie-talkie calling in reinforcements to the front line. Um, we need to recognize that we are to live for the task at hand. We are in, in, in war. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is still waging warfare against the kingdom of Satan. Uh, as a church and as Christians, that certainly doesn't mean that we can't enjoy recreation. It certainly doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the blessings of what God has given us. But it does mean we must not forget that we are combatants in a war. And both through the church, through missions, efforts of the church, uh, we are giving to support those who are on the very front lines. But in many ways, we too are on front lines in various places. Uh, And we must never forget that there is an urgency here. And that urgency will affect our priorities. It will affect our money. It will affect our prayers. It will affect the choices that we make day to day and how we live. Uh, All of these things uh, come into play. Jesus is saying to them, there's an urgency here. You need to travel lightly. You need to move quickly. You need to be uh, remembering that you are able to get up and go at a moment's notice. Fourth, we need to discern the response that we get from other people. When we have our explorers class, and you all, most of you have been through it, we talk about the parable of the sower which is a very valuable parable for a couple of reasons. One, it enables us to to, um, evaluate our own spiritual condition. But it's also a useful tool in in, in analyzing where someone else is spiritually. It gives us one of four categories into which a person might fall. Well, Jesus here is telling his disciples how they are to respond based on the response that they get, evaluating what's going on, how they should respond to it. Um, basically, Jesus tells them this, be a blessing to the receptive and depart from the unreceptive. Now, let's look at what he says. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. 
So Jesus says, when you go in, find a worthy place to stay. By worthy, probably doesn't mean necessarily morally or spiritually, but um, hospitable, open, willing to have you come in to receive you and provide for you. Of course, there were very few inns in that time, and the ones that were were often disreputable. Uh, so hospitality was commonly practiced. It was certainly uh, not unknown, and in fact, in fact, quite ordinary for for families to take in a traveler and provide lodging for the night. And so Jesus says, greet the house as the household, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Jesus is saying if they will not receive you, if they will not receive the words, then your, your greeting, your blessing returns to you. In other words, they don't have the blessing if they reject you, if they reject the message that you bring. And whether it's a household or even a whole town, Jesus says, if they reject you, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that place. Now that's a reference to a common Jewish practice when they would leave a Gentile area to literally shake dust off their feet as a way of, to some degree, literally, but more metaphorically, removing the defiling uncleanness from that area. I suppose if you were a Gentile, uh, you might find that somewhat insulting. But uh, nevertheless, that was the Jewish practice. Well, Jesus is applying that not so much to Gentiles, but to people who reject the kingdom, to people who reject him. And by so doing, it is it's an effect, an act of judgment. This saying you're so defiled in your rejection that I don't even want the dust of your town on my feet. And so we need to discern the response we get. Uh, in some ways, this is similar to Jesus' uh, to, uh, instruction in the Sermon on the Mount regarding the pigs, regarding the dogs. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. <clears throat> well, what is Jesus saying here that applies to us? Well, we need to be sensitive to the situation. We need to discern the response or the reception that we get, to be willing to talk to those who are open, to those who are responsive, uh, even if they don't immediately receive the gospel, if they're willing to be hospitable in the sense they're willing to talk, willing to debate, willing to consider, uh, we do that, bring the message of Christ to them. But what are those who are just hostile? What are those who just are interested in mocking? Well, we certainly are concerned for them, but we're not to subject the gospel to unnecessary ridicule or abuse. And I think that that is what Jesus is saying here. Work with those who are more receptive. Now, in the world, in missions, there are people who are receptive to various degrees, cultures that are open to various degrees. Certainly there is a place to ministering to those with patience and forbearance that it may take years to reach, and to individual people that we know. But I think the pearls and the, the, the pearls before pigs principle is what Jesus is saying here. Discern the response we get. Uh, speak with those who are open. Maybe even continue to pray for those who are not. But don't uh, subject yourself in the gospel to unnecessary uh, scorn in those cases. We need wisdom in that. The fifth thing that uh, Jesus mentions to them here, working to reach people for Christ, using the methods God gave, living for the task at hand, discerning the response we get. And fifth... Jesus' instructions to them, and by, by, uh, by extension to us, 
Verse 15, to remember the stakes that we raise. Sharing the gospel with someone is not a trifling thing. For that matter, hearing the gospel ourselves is not a trifling thing. Look at what Jesus says in verse 15. Truly I say to you, which is a solemn and formal way of saying this is very important. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Of course, Sodom and Gomorrah we read of earlier. And in fact, uh, those towns became a byword in the scriptures for wickedness. Uh, In fact, later in Matthew chapter 11, uh, when Jesus is talking about the cities of uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida, uh, he says, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Paul quotes Isaiah in Romans 9, saying, we would have, if, apart from the grace of God, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. And so that judgment kind of becomes the, the archetype of, uh, of judgment. Uh, in that fire from heaven consuming these people because of their sin and their rebellion and their wickedness. Well, Jesus says, whatever Sodom and Gomorrah received would be more bearable than what those towns, those people would receive who have rejected the light of the gospel now that the Messiah has come, now that the Savior has come. If it was judgment, if it meant judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah's day to reject the light that they had, how much more to uh, reject the Savior himself? The stakes are high. They're high for us. And the first thing we need to make sure of is that we have that vertical relationship with God, that we have come to saving faith in Christ. Because otherwise, you all have heard the gospel. You were accountable for it. You were answerable to God for it. And if judgment came on Sodom and Gomorrah, how much greater the judgment on those who hear the light of the truth of Christ and yet reject it. But certainly for us who would share that light with others, what a weighty thing. Uh, What a position we've put them in because they are accountable for that knowledge now that they have. And it's certainly not out of place to warn them uh, of God's judgment, not only on their sin to begin with, but now that they have the light of the knowledge of Christ, of his gospel, that increased knowledge for which they are accountable. So as individual Christians, as a church, uh, we must not lose sight of our twofold task. The upward look, our relationship with Christ. The outward look, our indebtedness, as Paul puts it in Romans 1, our obligation to the people around us. First, we're to be worshipers of God. That's our highest task. And we do that now, and we'll do that for all eternity. But second is that we are to bring others to worship God, which, by the way, is a task we won't do for all eternity. There will come a day when that outreach is no longer necessary in the new heavens and new earth. And so we need to be careful not to be so busy looking up at God, studying his word, fellowshipping with one another, that we forget to look around at the people around us. You see, God has given his church marching orders. We dare not neglect them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for these words, and they're directed to your apostles. Uh, Nevertheless, Lord, certainly have application for us as well. Father, we pray that as believers, as families, as a church, that you would draw us close to you. But as we draw close to you, that we would also see those around us, Lord, with your eyes, as those who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And, Father, that you would burden our hearts and overcome our 
reserve and reluctance, Lord, to speak to others of our Savior. And we ask it in his name and for his kingdom. Amen.